Yeah, so compared to my most recent um, full-time role, it's probably about 30, 30% higher than my full-time pay was right now. And I think there's still room, room to grow. I mean, I think one of the advantages, obviously, of consulting, once you have the experience to kind of sell your own personal services way, it's a very high margin business fundamentally, right? Welcome to Six Figure Secrets of Fractional Experts, where we have candid conversations with successful fractional executives discussing their journey to build their independent consulting businesses and hearing their hard-earned lessons. Today, I am thrilled to have Matthew Goldman with us. Matthew is a fractional chief product officer and the founder of Totavi, a boutique consulting firm specializing in technology product development. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Matthew, how about we get started by discussing your journey into consulting? First of all, can you tell me how many uh, clients you're working with? Yeah, I'm currently working with seven companies right now. <laughs> but again, not not all by myself. So that helps. One of them in particular is mostly done by a, a part-time uh, person on my team. And then, and then I'm expanding the team next month. That's amazing. And Matthew, can you share, like, taking all the expenses and tax benefits stuff aside, uh, how much does your consultancy bring in in terms of revenue? And how, like, how does it compare with your full-time income? Yeah, so compared to my most recent um, full-time role, it's probably about 30, 30% higher than my full-time pay was right now. And I think there's still room, room to grow. I mean, I think one of the advantages, obviously, of consulting once you have the experience to kind of sell your own personal services way is it's a very high margin business fundamentally right um you know my expenses are very low we don't have an office or any of that stuff so uh, there's tax advantages to putting expenses into the business of course um but really there's there's not a lot of money that needs to be spent um as i expand obviously i'll go up i'll have a salary to pay and and you know, I'm providing some benefits and things, but I'm also trying to to sell some like informational services as a way to have something that that scales. So I've had a Substack for a couple of years. I turned on payments for that. It's not a lot of money yet, but I anticipate publishing some like research reports and things specific to my field that you know you can sell multiple times, right? And and I expect that to be a real accelerant to revenue. Hmm. I love this. Uh, I'm going to dive more into this in the later half of the interview where we'll discuss more about your writing and how you're getting more clients. So now, like, making 30% more than your last full-time income, that's what most of the consultants that are in, our, in the MyLast community would want to get at. How long has it been since you started consulting this time? I started at the start of April, so it's only been really three months, but wow. I, I would say two things about that one. It's, it's not my first go at consulting. And so I started talking to some potential clients, you know, in January and that really helps get deals closed fast because it can take months to get a deal from introduction to, to sign. But I kind of was able to, to start thinking about that before I officially started. Hmm. I have a couple of questions here. Can you tell me like after your last full-time job, why did you get into consulting? Sure. 
over the last 10 plus years, I've, I've been either an entrepreneur or an executive at a company that acquired my company. I, I prefer to work in startups and I prefer um, to have the, you know, the flexibility that being your own boss gives you. I, I was in most of my career in fintech and I, I had started a business in 2019 that, you know, I raised some venture capital for, didn't go great. I like to blame the pandemic. So I sold it in kind of an aqua hire to a later stage startup. Things were going really well there. We raised a round of funding, you know, really growing really well. But 2022 was, was not a good year for fintech broadly. And anyone who follows the space has seen a lot of companies fail. There was a huge crypto crash, obviously, which, well, we were not a crypto company. Many of our customers were, so that affected us. Um, and you could kind of start to see like a downward trend in the business. And ultimately, we decided to sell that company where I was I was president. So it's kind of like the number two person in the company. It wasn't a, a surprise. So I thought like, well, this journey is going to end because I'm probably not going to work at the acquirer because A, like I didn't, I wasn't interested in working at a bigger company. Um, you know, we were 50 people and we were getting acquired by coming with 500 plus people. That's just a very different environment. And I've, I haven't loved working at large companies, as I said. And then, um, you know, I was thinking like, well, you know, th this gives me three options, right? One is go get a job. Two is start another venture backed company. And three is like, maybe do some consulting for a while. And I did do a lot of interviewing um, as I thought about these paths. And I think, again, as a, as an executive, like getting a C-level job is, is usually very long and slow because there's not very many of them. It's really, really critical. And so it, it usually has to be like a, a situation where everyone who on the hiring team is really super thumbs up about everything. The requirements get very, very fine. So you could be, you know, at one level totally qualified, another level be missing the one thing that that company wants. And then at the smaller startups, I think a lot of the challenge for them was, well, we'd love to have you on board, but we just can't afford you. So that's what kind of led me to explore with some of those folks who, some of whom are now my customers. And I said, well, you know, like what if you could get a, you know, a fifth of my time and pay me a third of my salary, basically, right? Like understanding you have to pay me more because it's part-time, but you get access to this. And people said, well, that's, you know, really compelling and I think it also provides a bit of a like try before you buy type aspect to them. Like if maybe down the road, they want to hire me full time, we've had more experience working together. And so that's what um, made me go that way. And then I think also my, my wife, Jenny, she, she's, you know, we've been married a long time and she was like, this is what you need to do that you think you'd really enjoy it. And so that was a big, big push as well to decide to go ahead and, and try. I figured like worst case scenario, I can always go get a job, right? Like it's not, it's not forever, but I've actually been really enjoying it so far. You've been really enjoying the consulting. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's fun to work with a lot of different companies um, and see new things. So I'm able to work in, I'm working in a couple different kind of sectors. I'm not exclusively doing FinTech, which is, was a bit of, of a surprise to me. I thought maybe I'd be a little more like pigeonholed. Um, different stages, different products. And I feel like I'm able to deliver a lot of value, even though I'm only working, you know, fewer hours for each company because I have that experience and it just keeps it really interesting. And it's really important to me on the flexibility side um, 
my wife works a non-flexible job and she has to, you know, go into a physical location. So it's great for me to be able to pick up the kids or meet the contractor at home. Like I've really come to appreciate that. And as a consultant, um, it's nice to be able, like, if someone says, are you available at 2 PM? You can be like, I am not. And they, they don't feel like you should be because they don't, they're not paying for all your time. Right. When you're a full-time employee, you're like, well, why aren't you available at two? I mean, they're like, well, you know, I'm not paying for 40 hours a week. So that makes sense. And I, I try to be flexible and I actually work a lot. I work a lot of hours, but I can work them very flexibly. I have, I have one client who's in Asia and I'm in Los Angeles. So I meet with them at, in the evenings. Right. And that's what, what works for them. So I think um, that's enjoyable because it lets me make my day a little bit more mixed up uh, interesting rather than tied to a computer for eight hours in a row. That makes a lot of sense. I love that uh, it was going so well for you. The other question that I had was related to hiring people to expand the business. Can you speak about that a little bit? How are you growing the consultancy? Who are the, the first hires? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's two ways I'm looking at. So the first was I was talking to one prospect and they kind of wanted two things done um, initially was what they said. And I said, like, I have time to do part A, but I don't have time to do part B, which was really, they want, they wanted a like halftime product manager to do a project, um, which is a little bit less kind of executive advice, a little bit more functional and certainly something like I'm capable of doing, but based on the clients I already had, I was like, I don't have that 20 hours a week to do this. And so I went and I spoke with um, a former employee of mine who, you know, wasn't working full time and I know doesn't want to work full time and said like, you know, hey, would, would you be interested in doing this project with me? And, and, you know, fortunately she said yes. And I went back to them and I said like, you know, I can, I can manage and, and kind of subcontract this out, so to speak. And they were like, great. In fact, let's not do A, let's just do B. So I um, you know, maybe we'll come back to A later, which which was great. So I was able to get them in as a customer and, and start to build that relationship and hope there will be more work down the road. And and I'm very involved, right? I I'm still managing that person. I'm still attending the calls. Um, and and it's it's helping us, you know, get something done. And so I'm I'm involved and and it's enjoyable. So that was easy to do because it's someone I've worked with for a long time in my career. I have a good relationship with and I trust, you know, very deeply. Um, and then as I've seen my pipeline grow in science and new deals, I realized I did need more help and like there's more demand um, for what we're doing. And, and so I went, um, you know, I fortunately had someone reach out to me who had decided, you know, someone who, again, has worked for me in the past who said, hey, like, I'm going to leave my job. What are you up to? And I said, well, funny, you should ask, like, what would you think about trying this out? Which is different for, for this person because they... Um, They've been, you know, more working in traditional businesses, used to being like a W-2 employee. And so we were able to work that out. Um, and I think, again, like for me right now, I wouldn't probably post a job and interview a bunch of people. Like I'm like, that's very, very hard. Hiring is very, I've hired, you know, like well more than a hundred people in my career. And it's, it's a bit of a crapshoot. I think, you know, even great, you know, managers maybe hit 50% if they're lucky at great hires. So it's, but it's easy to bring someone on that way. And then the other part is looking at a few more contractors. So I'm about to launch like fractional CTO kind of advisory services as part of what I do with, again, a former CTO colleague of mine who's, you know, available. Um, I don't know if that's going to, that's going to work, but like I have one proposal out 
um, that is kind of a more defined um, project um, involving technical due diligence. And it's, it's better for the two of us to partner. We can provide something better. And again, she's someone who is extremely qualified and very capable, but isn't going to do the sales stuff, right? That I think, you know, as an independent consultant, you have to do. And and I enjoy doing the sales stuff and I think I'm pretty good at it. So it, it's it's a way to, you know, not in that case, like there are different scenarios. Some folks are going to be, you know, essentially hourly contractors and some, you know, some folks might be like full-time, not everyone's going to be, you know, W2, obviously that creates a less flexibility for me, but I think I'm able to at least get the start of kind of stitching together some services for folks. Right. So, uh, so essentially what you're saying is you're partnering with people who you already know from your network are available to work part-time and, uh, you're either working on projects with them or you're subcontracting projects to them. Yes. Yeah. And, and for my clients, I mean, I think it's just like, you know, the, like you think about the, the analogy of like when you're hiring a general contractor to build something, right? They, you know that maybe you're going to bring in a plumber to do that, but you also know who is the accountable party. So for my clients, I'm still the accountable party. I think I will also do referrals, right? Um, I think that's really important in the space. Like um, I do some risk consulting for fintech startups, but if someone wants like highly detailed risk, I'm not going to do that. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not like a certified risk professional, but I can help operationalize things. And in that case, I might say like, you know, here's my, you know, you know, my referral for you, but you need to contract with them directly. So I think it's going to be very case by case. And, um, and how do you uh, see this like growing in the future? Like, uh, do you plan to have, uh, you know, a bunch of product uh, professionals working under you and you being their managers or um, you envision it to be some other kind of a relationship? Um, I, I don't in, intend to get to a bunch of, for sure. Like I think managing a big business has its own challenges. And if, I, if it gets too big, some of those things that I'm trying to avoid come back. I mean, there's, there's something much harder about being responsible for large amounts of payroll. And, and, and I've done that, right. I've been CEO of a company with, with people, you know, with, with large teams. So I think, you know, I could see getting to four or five people, you know, down the road, but probably stopping there. Like I, I think, you know, that the boutique kind of aspect is important to me. I want to be able to provide high quality service. I want to be able to be involved in the projects. Um, I think I can do more, and make actually the business more flexible. One of the challenges, like if you only have one customer, right? If you're doing like kind of traditional fill-in consulting and you're selling 40 hours a week to somebody, when that contract is over, it's very hard to time contract ends and starts, right? So like I've hired, you know, fractional or, or consultants, right? For like someone's on leave and they need to hire someone for, you know, three months at 40 hours a week, but then the contract's over. Now what's that person going to do? And sometimes, you know, you call them up and you say, Hey, can you see another month? And that can be really hard for them. And so part of, I've intentionally built a business where everyone is, is a fractional service. So I can sell my 40 hours a week, or maybe I'm selling 50. It's unclear. Um, but, you know, if any one client goes away or cuts back, Right, which they're going to do, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have their own cash flow problems or they're gonna decide they don't need something right now. That's okay, right? Because maybe my revenue will will vary, but it won't go from hundred percent to zero percent and then back to hundred percent. It might go from hundred percent to eighty percent and then back to hundred percent, which is much easier to manage. So 
that's a very conscious decision to focus on the fractional approach versus kind of the full-time approach. Right. That makes sense. Um, and and uh, in terms of, uh, you know, working with so many different clients, do you feel that, uh, you know, it, it gets overwhelming? Do we, have, you know, focused on so many different projects all at once? Or do you feel that you're able to time box yourself very efficiently? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at um, kind of the, the context switching, but it, it can be overwhelming. Um, I, I did make a, an initial mistake. I onboarded three customers in the same week. That was not a good idea. I should have spread them out, but I think in my excitement to get people to sign. And what happened was I sent out these deals and you don't know if they're going to get signed. And then they all got signed at the same time, like within 24 hours of each other which I just didn't expect to happen. Um, and, you know, I obviously could have gone to one and say, hey, I, I want to push the start gate out a week. So that was that was overwhelming for sure. Um, but I think that like on an ongoing basis, it's, it's okay, right? And and again, like they all kind of ebb, ebb and flow. My, my goal certainly is to make sure that each of my customers feels like they're my primary customer and they feel very, um, you know, well, managed, um, very, you know, like they're getting great work and, and that's really like how I'm going to measure myself. Right. Amazing to hear. All right, Matthew, let's, let's talk a little bit about the actual consulting work that you're doing. Can you tell me a little about how you structure your, uh, deliverables for uh, any given project? Yes. Yeah, so in general, um, my structure is I, I ask people to sign up for a retainer. And that retainer is based on kind of the, the level of work and the speed, but is not a specific hour count generally. And my deals make it very clear that in most cases, I'm not charging by the hour and how many hours it takes me to do something isn't the point. Because like if I'm very efficient, that's to my benefit. And if I misjudge, that's to their benefit. And then I, I require everyone to sign like a three-month deal at the start so that I can plan my time. And I think that's really important as well, because sometimes companies, like if they take a week off, so to speak, or they're distracted and you're hourly, it can really, really impact you. So then the second part of that is really focusing on, on what are the outcomes um, and deliverables. And it's in my business working with startups, it's less specific than I think others might be. It's not like rebuilding a website, right? Where it's like very clear, like, you know, phase one, we're going to do mock-ups and phase two, we're going to build it and phase three, we're going to launch it. It's it's much more like, well, um, like a couple of projects I'm working on, like one is I'm acting as fractional chief product officer for a brand new startup that's building a credit card, which is a very particular skill of mine that I know a lot about. So it's helping with vendor selection and helping with strategy and helping with marketing. And we have all these things listed out that I'm doing um, but we don't even know which path we're going to go down in terms of how we build it. My job is to help advise and then go down that path. So there needs to be some flexibility. Um, I have another project where I'm helping a company kind of revamp their sales process. Um, they're a software company and they're switching from kind of self-serve to more enterprise sales. And so the deliverable is ultimately a new sales process, but, you know, Again, at the start, you don't know what the answer there is. There's a lot of interviewing of people on the team and understanding where things are and making those recommendations. So my my deliverables are pretty, they're vaguer than an attorney would like, I'll put it that way. Um, but I think we all know what we're basically working on. And one of the key things in, that's in most of them is, is it says like act as the company's fractional chief product officer 
including all these things. And so that gives us that flexibility. Um, it hasn't been a problem so far that there is that, that vagueness. Um, and again, it, it really comes back to this idea like, you know, if the, if my clients feel like they're getting value and getting the things they need, um, then they're, they're happy. And I think the, especially in the startup space, the, the desire for flexibility is very, very high because plans can and will change kind of at any time. And they don't want to have like a contract disagreement, you know? So when I, when I size them, I'm like, look, you know, you can think about it sort of like time. Like if you pay me more right, you get more of my time and things happen faster um, or you get more things done. So, you know, like if you want me to work on three things simultaneously, then that's, you know, a medium project. If you want me to work on one thing simultaneously, that's a small project. And that kind of is, is how um, I talk to folks about it. Right. But um, like, do you still feel like uh, because it is uh, vague and because the, uh, you know, the requirements may change at any time, um, it feels like, uh, has it ever come up that, uh, you know, when you start a project, the, um, you assessed it like wrong and it turned out to be a bigger project than you anticipated at the beginning? Um, I haven't felt that way yet. Um, I think that certainly can happen and that conversation will happen. And, and have a, so far as having the other way, I mean, I had a company come to me and say, basically like, we're trying to cut spend. Can we, you know, can we cut time? And, and I will say, yes, like, I, you know, I'm happy to work with you on this, right? Like, I think you have to show flexibility in both ways. Um, I've been doing stuff like this on and off for over 20 years. So I think I have a very good sense when I talk to people about what they're looking to do. And um, from my perspective, like I'm very focused on, um, again, like the, the outcome, even though it's maybe not this specific deliverable. And if I misestimated, I feel like that's actually a little bit on me. Now, if we, if we, if someone were to come to me and say, good job with X. Now we want to do Y. I would say, okay, Y is totally different problem. We need to talk about like compensation for that. But, you know, if, if, for example, they're like, Hey, we want you again to, you know, build out a project plan around building a credit card. I should know what that takes. And if I'm wrong, that's, that's on me to solve actually. And that should accrue to their benefit. That's, I think the trade-off of retainers, right? If you charge hourly, it is whatever it, it is. Um, but the, one of the other reasons I don't like charging hourly, and I talk to my clients about this, is that I want to feel like an integral part of their team as an advisor, and I want them to include me in meetings, and I'm on Slack with all of them, and I want them to send me a message whenever they think of something or call me up and just, you know, riff on an idea or ask a question. And for anyone who's ever worked with a lawyer who, you know, you know that if you do that, you get charged, you know, every 12 minutes at, you know, $500 an hour or whatever, it makes people cranky and it makes them not want to call their lawyer. And, and so I use that analogy with the business owners because they don't, they know that they're used to it and they don't like it because I didn't like that as a business owner. So, you know, I think I can do a better job when they're engaging with me. Right. And I don't want to have to track like Bob called me and we talked for four and a half minutes. Right. I just want to, I just want to give Bob that time. And you know, um, and, you know, I think that also like makes me more valuable to them ultimately. Right. Cause I become, you know, part of their, their playbook. Um, so again, I, I, I kind of talk about like, Hey, like if you want to keep it really small, you're talking about an hour or two a week 
want to go bigger a half day you want to go bigger a full day you want to go bigger a day and a half like approximately right so there is some sense of that in the negotiation but it's also not like well i only work for you on tuesdays from you know eight to five right it's like i'm available when you need me and i'm going to get these things done but obviously you have to pay me for my time and so the more you pay me the more of my time that you know the faster response the more you're going to get done all those kinds of things um but i like again i like to be engaged um so it's it's working okay so far. That doesn't mean that, you know, a problem won't, won't occur. And sometimes, you know, you have customers that you have to part ways with, but it's, it's been successful at this point. Mm -hmm. I love it. Can you talk about your pricing model a little, you know, you, you said that you can either get half my day or one day or two days, like how you structured the prices for all of these? Yeah. So I'm not charging everyone all the same things. Um, because it kind of depends, kind of a rough structure. And you can think about it, you know, in these buckets, like extra small, small, medium, large, kind of like t-shirt sizing, as they say. Um, and I start at around $3,000 a month, and then it just kind of like doubles as you go. Um, and so it's various sizes of these retainers. Um, I do also, because I work with a lot of startups, I offer to startups to take a portion of my compensation in equity um, up to 20%. And so some folks might be paying less cash, but I'm getting some amount of shares. And the amount of shares depends on the stage of the company and all those other things, but I would like access to the upside. Um, that's very important. And so, you know, that can vary anywhere from 25 basis points to 5%, right? Like it really depends on where the company is and, and what I'm doing for them. Um, and then I also do like startup advising and I've been doing this for years. That's purely equity-based. So that's more like, you know, I get those 25 basis points maybe, but you know, look, you're not, you're not paying me cash and I may be doing it, you know, an hour or two a month. Right. Um, I'm available to chat through things, but I'm not really delivering anything. And that's kind of where I draw the line. If you want like real output, um, as opposed to some conversations. And I found with those, they're very, um, like cyclical, like a company will need help and I'll have to give them five hours in one month. Then I won't hear from them for two months, right? So it, it, it's fine, like as long as they don't do it at the same time. So, um, you know, like I said, I do very little hourly charging. Um, I'm doing a little bit of it. Um, but, you know, I think this allows me to set aside the time for customers, right? Um, and make sure I'm available by knowing that there's some consistency. And and again, so far, it's it's just kind of, it's, it's working out. I, I haven't had a lot of pricing pressure. Um, some of my earlier customers are probably paying a little bit less, frankly, but I think, you know, it's, it seems like I've found spot in the market that people think is reasonable, um, given, you know, kind of the services I'm providing. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, I want to ask you something that a lot of people who are getting into consulting think about, which is, is consulting right for me? So at what stage of one's career do you feel, um, they should be looking at? Uh, consulting as a good option for them? I think it matters so much what consulting you're trying to do. The business I'm doing today, I could not have done at an earlier stage of my career in this way. Um, I think it takes a certain amount of experience and gravitas, so to speak, to be able to position yourself as an executive advisor. If you're 24 and you've been in the workforce for three years, I, I don't think you can do that. Um, but maybe you can do some other kind of consulting. So I think the, the things people really need to ask about getting in consulting is one, do I have a unique 
skill set that I can offer to people that's that's clear and understandable. I think it has to be much more discrete, you know, what you're helping with than if you're an employee. And two, can I motivate myself properly to get stuff done for people um, without kind of a, a manager overseeing me? Because I think a lot of people expect consultants to be very, very self-motivated. And three is, can I do the sales? Like a lot of this is sales. You're your own salesperson. Um, and you have to go out there and you have to sell yourself and sell your time um, in, a, in a very unique way. So like I said, like at the start of my career, I effectively did, you know, c- computer network consulting. It's like very clear. It was not lucrative like this is in the same way, but, you know, it was a service, like a lot of small businesses and startups needed 10 hours a week of, of network consulting. And I could string those things together um, before I started my last venture back business. I was just kind of working on it on this thinking through it. And someone came to me and said, Hey, like we're building a payment solution. Can you help us? And I, I worked with them for six or nine months part-time and, and, um, you know, it was, it was like less executive and strategy and more functional. Like, how do you build this thing? And so I think as my career has progressed, the kind of thing I've been doing has, has changed. Um, but I think when it comes to the like fractional executive stuff, you have to be able to say, I've done this job before and I know how to do it. And I'm going to be an accelerant for your business. And then you're working for a business that doesn't need that as a full-time role yet. Right. Um, which there are a lot of that, that don't need a full-time CFO or CMO or CPO or whatever the case is, but they want the executive experience because they don't want to have to teach someone. So my business isn't part modeled on a now friend of mine who I hired as a fractional chief marketing officer, my first venture back business over 10 years ago. And marketing has always been a challenge for me because I think finding great marketers is very hard. It's very hard to assess in an interview. Um, And I am not by training or job background, a marketer myself. So I hired this guy, uh, Peter, because I was like, I need to do these things and I don't know how to do them or how to manage this person. So I hired him as a fractional chief marketing officer is what he does. He does fractional CMO for, for startups. I could say like, Hey, we need user personas. And you'd be like, okay. And then like a week later, I just have them and they'd be amazing and they'd be done, right? Or like, hey, we're going to a conference. Can you like figure it out? And he would just, you know, do the booth and do the handouts and take care of everything. And so I think that idea that if you have these kind of executive level people, um, you're expecting them to just get it done without being able, having to tell them every little step, right? You want to always have their deliverable be like, wow, this is great, right? This is exactly what I needed. I didn't even know what I needed. And same thing with him. I knew he had other clients and I knew I was only paying him for like maybe a day of his week, but I I never felt like I wasn't getting all the time I needed or he wasn't getting the things done that I needed done. And so that's been a real guidance for me. I mean, he's, he's like older than I am. So he has, you know, that's why he was doing this 10 years ago and he's still, he's maybe semi-retired now, but um, you know, that was really inspirational to me. I was like, this was, I was very um, hesitant to hire him initially because I thought like I'd rather have someone who I could, for what I was paying him for a day a week, I could have hired, you know, a junior person. But the reality was I didn't know how to manage that junior person and I didn't want to manage that junior person. And it was way better to have someone with a lot of experience part-time than to have someone with very little experience full-time. I think that was uh, so cool that you were able to model your own consulting practice after something that you have already seen uh, been done really well and you have already worked with so uh, i think that must have given you like a leg up uh yeah. when you're building out your consulting practice 
for sure. And he's given me a lot of advice. Um, and like, you know, we're obviously doing, we're doing different parts of the business. Um, you know, I'm doing product and he's a marketer and we're, you know, different people and all that stuff. But I think it's been very helpful to kind of, um, learn some, some things from him and maybe have not have to make some mistakes. And he's also gone through phases where he's had some employees, not had some employees, depending on the state of his business. Um, but he's, he's done this most of his career. And I think it's given him not only it's been a very successful, like financially, but it's given him the flexibility and, you know, the, the ability not to, you know, have to work for someone else, so to speak, which I, I know he values. Okay, Matthew, we come to the final part of the interview, which is about how you get your clients. So uh, you, you mentioned it a couple of times that the sales cycle for getting a new client in a consulting business can be really long, often spending, expanding months. So uh, can you uh, speak a little bit about how you nurture your leads during these months? Yeah, so um, I have taken an approach of kind of uh, building some reputation and thought leadership through investing my time. So I mentioned I have this sub stack, which is called Cards for the Win, which is very specific to my like niche industry of credit and debit card issuing. But I've been doing that for over two years. Um, I, I try to publish it every week. I've had my down times. And now that I'm working for myself again, I've been much more consistent. And you know, I've got 14, 1500 subscribers, people share it, right? And so that is an actual source of leads. Um, because I'm just, I'm taking the time to share knowledge and information and news with the community, you know, um, and the free version is very, very useful. Um, so there's that. The The second thing is um, Slack groups. So I'm in a number of Slack groups for both fintech and just generally for startups, which I get invited to as an operator. So, you know, when I was a CEO or when I was a chief product officer, people would invite me to these things. I could build, you know, without planning this, you know, for this business, I, I'm very active. I like to answer questions if I can. I like to ask questions. I like to be engaged. Um, and people start to notice that, hey, this is, a, this is a person who has answers, who has experience, or is willing to explain things to me. You know, I'll always take uh, a 30-minute call with somebody, you know, for, for free, right, for them. Like, you know, they want to talk to me about cards. Like, yeah, let's talk about cards. You know, they want to talk to me about what's the right, you know, stack for a startup for HR? Like, I don't know, I have an opinion. Am I an expert? Like, maybe not, but I've done it a couple of times. So I'll just tell you my experience. Um, and the third thing is I, I'm, I get a lot of leads from venture capital firms that I've worked with. Even if they haven't invested in my businesses that I know, right, um, in the community and, you know, maybe they didn't choose to invest or the timing was wrong, but, you know, hopefully they were you know, like impressed with me. And so, it's really important to have a very big top of funnel and a lot of ways people come in. And then, you know, my approach is, is to provide value before I ask for anything. So, you know, um, people come to me and they say, like, I had, I, here's an example. Um, I had a guy reach out to me via Slack group and say, he, well, he was just on the Slack group. And he said, Hey, like, does anyone have a financial model or experience building financial model for, you know, a neobank? And I thought, well, like I, yes. Um, so I reached out to him and said, yeah, you know, I've done that. And in fact, I have an open source version on this site that I contribute to where a couple of us contribute, you know, free documentation about doing fintech startups. And I said, you know, like, here's the free model. would love to chat about it. And if you want help, you can also call me. So I haven't closed this deal yet. So we'll see how it goes. Right. But then we get on the call and I'm like, 
here's the model and it's free. I can also customize it for you. And that's what the, you know, here's what that might look like. And I can also help you with a bunch of these other things too. And here's what that might look like. And he was like, this is great. Send me a proposal. Right. So, you know, by giving him something and saying, I'm happy to just help. I think you, you build a lot of trust. And then from there, I, I just try to, you know, I don't like pestering, but you do have to be diligent. Right. So, you know, you, you have that conversation, you send them the, um, you know, the proposal, you follow up a week later, you see what they say, may it come back. And, and sometimes like one of my current clients, I actually first talked to them in January, like I mentioned, you know, I had like two, two hour calls, um, didn't go anywhere, but you know, I just, I tried to keep them back in my head and you know, 45 days later, I send them, a, send the guy a note being like, Hey, I saw this news and I thought of you, right. How's it going? Right. And just keep that relationship alive. And then that did turn into a job after some time when the timing was better for them. So, you know, just keep, keep kind of providing value, keep, keep engaging and, and make sure that not every interaction is an ask on my part. I don't want to follow up every, every month and say, Hey, do you need my help now? But I can just say, Hey, here, you know, I'm thinking about you. People, I think really value that, that you're staying engaged. And so I try to, you know, kind of give more to the world in general than, than I take from it so that, you know, I think that's, I don't know, karma, whatever, like it, it's worked out for me, right. To kind of take that approach. That's such a great philosophy. Um, there are so many things that uh, listeners can take away from uh, this process that you just shared, uh, whether it is, you know, just writing uh, and sharing your uh, expertise in a, a sub stack or uh, contributing to an open source or, you know, taking uh, calls and sharing your uh, answering questions in slacks. So um, I think, uh, and, and you summed up uh, perfectly at the end that, you know, you're trying to give more than you take. So it, it just works out the simple philosophy. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's fun. Like I get, I get a lot out of it, right? I feel good helping people. So um, it's, and, and so I usually learn something too, right? I hear about some new startup idea or some new concept and that that's valuable for me, right? To hear about new things. Like, I think it's really interesting. In our last call, you were also uh, talking about how you're an aggressive networker. What does that mean? And uh, does it also help you consulting business? Yeah, ab absolutely. I, I think it's funny. I always th think back, like, in, in, I remember going to college. Um, I, I went to Claremont McKenna College, which is a small liberal arts school here in, in the Los Angeles area. And there are a lot of people going to like investment banking and consulting and accounting. And they would tell us it's really important to network. And I remember thinking, like, I don't even know what that means, right? Um, but I've kind of decided that what networking means is just meeting people and trying to stay in touch with them. So that same thing I mentioned about like thinking of people and sending them a note, right? Like, um, so when I, when I meet people out, you know, whether it's at a conference or at a meetup or online through a Slack group, like love to take that, Hey, let's, let's spend 20 minutes and get to know each other. Right. So, um, that, that can feel time consuming, right? But you never know where it's going to go. It's like I, I posted, you know, a friend asked me to post a CTO job to a group of CTOs I'm in. Um, and then a guy was like, oh, I'd like to meet them. I did the email. She was like, hey, let's let's chat. I'm like, yeah, let's chat. Let's get to know each other, right? And now this guy is part of my network. And will we ever work together? Like, I don't know. But like, maybe I'll see that he changed jobs. And instead of just clicking the thumbs up on LinkedIn. Like I usually send people a note um, and I say, Hey, I saw you did that. Like glad to hear, hope it's going well. Um, I try to like send people I've worked with happy birthday texts for years, you know, just, you want to let people know you're thinking of them. And I think you have to, 
take the approach that it's okay if they're not thinking of you or they don't reply. I think people can get tied up in the like, why is this relationship one-sided? And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But I think that, you know, there's, if you don't mind the five minutes it's going to take you to send someone an email and let them know that, you know, you saw the news or you think it's interesting what they're doing or whatever, maybe they'll reply and maybe they won't. But that builds like long-term opportunities um, and, and trying to, you know, say yes, right, to an opportunity to get to know someone or meet someone new. Um, I actually don't go to a lot of conferences anymore. Like I don't love traveling. Um, and I think the world has moved online and made this this easier. But it's it's not just about collecting business cards, as they say. Like it's about like, you know, actually building some basic relationship. And that that just requires that you invest in it. And you have to invest in it again, like whether you think there's a short-term return or not. Right. So you're essentially uh, reaping the benefits of all the networking that you've done over the past uh, two decades uh, yeah. in your consulting business right now. I have often said to people, they're like, oh, like, how did you go from starting a business to seven clients in 90 days? I'm like, well, I think I started 17 years ago when I graduated <laughs> from college. Well, yeah, it was like 20 years ago now, I guess. But like, I, I think my first job out of college, I didn't get this. I didn't really do it very well. But then when I started working at... Um, at my second job, I really started to, like, I was working much more with the sales team, even though I was in the product, I was a product manager. And I really learned a lot from those sales guys about this stuff. Like, I mean, there was a guy who, you know, if we had a meeting near the client's birthday, he'd like find out their favorite bakery and bring a cake in, right? Like, I mean, this stuff people notice, right? It, it's kind of cheesy, but I think that, you know, I really got like, he, you know, he had a way of did that make them buy stuff? Like, I don't think so, right? But did it make them enjoy taking the call and, and talking to him? Like, yes, right? Um, and mm -hmm. so I think, you know, I learned a lot from that that particular group of salespeople, which was really great and, and really use that to kind of build that network. And then now at this point, I can just say to people like, hey, I'm doing something. And then people will be like, oh, I know someone who needs your help, right? Like, because I've not only probably helped them in the past, but I built this, you know, huge, huge network of, of people who are like generally aware, right, of kind of who I am and what I've done in my career. So I don't think, you know, to your question earlier, also like what stage can you become a consultant? I could have had a different consulting business 15 years ago. I could not have had this one by any stretch. Um, and talking about sales, uh, like what, what uh, advice do you have for people to be a good salesperson? Yeah, I I think that the number one thing about sales, and it's to me, it's also the number one thing about building great products, is you need to understand what problem you're solving. And sometimes the person from you're solving that problem doesn't understand it themselves or can't fully articulate it. Um, like if someone just says, I need X, they're maybe right and they may be wrong about what they really need. But if you need to understand, like you can say, okay, I hear you need X, but like, what is the problem you're solving? What do you, what, what makes you need X? Why are you getting to this? Right. And building an understanding of that story and being able to offer a solution. Right. So very problem solution. This again is very like product oriented. Like, like if you think about a traditional product management user story, which goes, as a actor of some type, I need to accomplish something so that I can achieve some goal, right? So like for my company, it might be like, as a startup, I need a product consultant so that I can actually launch my credit card product that I really want to launch because I don't know anything about credit cards. 
So then I say, oh, like your problem is that you're getting a space. You don't have the knowledge. I can bring you that knowledge, right? Which is much easier than, you know, hey, do you need a, a chief product officer? Because everyone should have one, right? Like check a box. Like that doesn't make as much sense, right? So I think if you want to be a, a good salesperson, you want to be consultative, you want to focus on problems. Um, and I, I don't think, look, I've, I've actually done a lot of cold sales in my career. I think that like building a great consulting practice is less about, you know, cold outreach unless there's a lot of people have the same problem and much more about like, you need to make that connection and then understand what are they trying to do? Because what's, what's funny in, in consulting, right, is you're the salesperson and the delivery person, right? So you don't get to just hand it off and be like, oh, implementations is going to do this. So you need to make promises that you can fulfill and you need to understand what, you know, what's the right proposal. Because if you can understand that problem and say to people, here's how I can help you solve your problem, they're going to say yes to your proposal um, because you're offering them a way out of whatever they're trying to figure out. If you talk to them and you don't understand that and you just say like, you should pay me, you know, to work 20 hours a week for the next three months because I can just generally help with, you know, I don't know, marketing, you're gonna be like, well, but what does that mean for me? But they say, well, I'm having trouble growing. And you can say, I can build you a go-to-market strategy that will double your sales. And the other thing I always say to people is, I, I don't have this problem, but if you don't like what I'm doing, you can cancel early and I will give you some money back because I'm, I stand by my work and what I feel I can do. And like, you know, make them feel like you understand it and you're going to be their partner. And I think that's a winning strategy. That's super cool. Um, I think like all of this is amazing, uh, Matthew. Uh, to close uh, our interview and uh, you know the to summarize our conversation, can you share like some tips for listeners listening to this interview uh, to grow their consulting business? Yeah, well, I think maybe a couple tips. One, build your personal brand build whatever that means for you, whether it's a newsletter, videos, podcast, like go put out some goodwill into the world, go give some free things. Oh, people see your work in real life and it builds that reputation and makes it easier to see us. And I think the second is, you know, take that, take that long-term view. Um, it can take six months to close a customer. It can also sometimes take two weeks. You never really know, but build and nurture those relationships over time and be really thoughtful about that and set aside the time to do it. It's going to be much easier down the road to say no to someone who comes to you six months later and says, now I want to work than to say, not have anyone coming to you and be looking for that business. Solid advice, Matthew. Thank you so much for joining me on this call, Matthew. Where can listeners find you and contact you for our expertise? Sure. Um, like I said, I have a Substack. It's at cardsftw.com. Um, and then my business is called Totavi. It's at totavi.com. I'm not on Twitter or anything anymore, but I'm pretty noisy on LinkedIn, I guess. And yeah, just reach out and look forward to talking with folks. Good. Good.